this latest edition, the episode 8 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. Uh, we decided to have a podcast today because there's just so much breaking news in the NBA and there was also some really fascinating games that took place today uh, that we were fortunate enough uh, to see some of. Uh, so we wanted to talk about those first and then obviously move into the, some of the big injury news. Uh, but first, Darren, how are you and, and did you catch any games today? I'm good, thanks, Daz. I've been, I've been tracking them. I've, I've been sort of trying to put my money where my mouth is, and um, I won some money today following Washington at Toronto. So that's probably the only one I've, I've followed really closely. Um, well, I said I, I mentioned good that to that. you in our conversation before we went to air because uh, Bojan Bogdanovic had a massive game in that one, and then he Grunfeld sends his regards because uh, you got stuck into him over that trade, and he'd be feeling... Okay about that trade at the moment. Twenty-seven points off the bench, and he just caught fire. And I've actually I've seen the last couple of Washington games because I watched a bit of them against the Warriors. They beat the Warriors, and then uh, that was only yesterday. And now they've gone in a back-to-back and gone to Toronto and beat Toronto very easily. Obviously, Kyle Lowry's out. We're going to deal with the Kyle Lowry injury a bit later on. But yeah. Bogdanovich today just came on. I think he was five of his first six. Had, had 16 points very quickly and they went on a 26-1 to 1 run in that game and, and basically just put it to bed uh, and they, were, they just cruised from there. So he's looking like he could be... And they've also announced they're going to sign Brandon Jennings and I don't know, you know, you have a bit of history with Brandon Jennings as a Bucks fan, but I think there's worse players you could bring off the bench for a little bit of a scoring and maybe 10, 15 minutes a night just to relieve John Wall. So all of a sudden, Washington's starting to look like they're building a team. Um, and we know their starting five's good enough to compete with anyone. So I think they're becoming more and more fascinating by the day. Um, and obviously Toronto will probably get to later. But uh, were you surprised when you, if you look at the box score, 27 points from Bogdanovich? Well, a wise man once told me even the sun shines on a dog's ass some days. Um, uh, but I I was more so – I'll come back to Washington in a second. I was just thinking purely how long is it going to take Toronto to get used to a Corey Joseph run offense. And I just had a feeling about um, I had a feeling about it today. And sure enough, it was a pretty pretty clunky um, pretty clunky offense from, um, from Toronto. So they get this. This will be the stat you probably haven't looked at as your – ogling over and drooling over boggy um is the raptors had 11 assists and and uh, 11 turnovers so 11 assists versus um the wizards had 32 assists so i go you can tell that core joseph is a nice backup player but when thrust into playing you know 30 minutes a game i'm genuinely concerned probably of all the injuries i'm really concerned about what that means for the raptors so um so yes, Boggy hit some shots, but the, the Toronto offense just ground ground to a halt. Yeah, well, I I mean, I think what Toronto and then for that matter, any other NBA team, sometimes you should ask yourself, well, what would Greg Popovich do? We we acknowledge Greg Popovich is the best coach I think in the game. Now, Pop, so today Tony Parker was out for the Spurs. Pop never st- doesn't start Paddy Mills. Paddy Mills is his backup point guard. What he will do is he'll have a third point guard on the roster who is able to run the offense like a Tony Parker. Because obviously when you're running the second unit, it is different to coming on and starting with the team. So when they practice and things like that, 
he's got that third point guard actually shadowing Tony Parker, if that makes sense. And I think, yeah. I'm not sure who the third point guard would even be in Toronto, but I think that sort of thinking is probably a better way to go rather than try and bring Corey Joseph in, even though he's probably a better player than whoever the third point guard may be. But it's easier to sort of have one guy running an offence with the first team in the limited practices you get rather than look at a guy that come in and usually running with the second unit um, to come in and run the team. And that's what we saw today. And I think there's there's going to be more and more hero ball where they're just dumping it to DeMar DeRozan and seeing what he can create. And that's what I saw when they played the Knicks. I didn't see much of the game today. But uh, when they played the Knicks, it was really just give the ball to DeMar DeRozan and, and hope for the best. And he scored 37 points. Um, but most of the time he had Derrick Rose on him. So I think you've got to take a grain of salt with that performance. So it's going to be interesting to see how... Toronto uh, go forward from there, and let's we may as well talk about Toronto now and, and the injury to Lowry while we're talking about them. Um, so, what are you? What are your thoughts? I guess on, on what this means for them because obviously they they would have been hoping, I think, to get to the three seed once they um, once Kyle Lowry was in there and and when they made the two trades they made for PJ Tucker and Serge Barker, they would have been thinking three seed. We go through whoever we get in the first round. We'll be pretty confident. Then we've got the Celtics. And then we can think about the Cavs. Now they're dropping into the maybe the four-five conversation. So you got Cavs second round, and they could even drop further than that. And then you're looking at a situation where you don't have the home court advantage in any stage in the playoffs. And, and I think home court advantage is quite important for them in Toronto. So what do you th- what are your thoughts about them going forward? Um, not only, I guess, to the end of the regular season, but when would you like to see Kyle Lowry come back with an eye to the playoffs? Well, I'm again based on today's evidence. I'd I'd be very concerned. So I'm not sure about the. You know, well, Pop should always be a benchmark of coaching. I'll give you that. But with Lowry being out some number of weeks, right? He doesn't have the luxury of just plunking in a, a third point guard to run the first unit. He needs someone to play big minutes, and Corey Joseph clearly the next best option to run, you know, to run with the ones. But I, what I saw was trying to work in um, Abaka. So Abaka's playing huge minutes, right, as he should, um, and working in PJ Tucker, right, who's more of a defensive-minded player. But he grabbed, I think he played 21, 22 minutes today as well. And then you got Corey Joseph, who's a game manager style. Um, he's not that obviously no one very few players are that electric creative creator um, inside outside ability that Lowry has um, to both create shots drive and dish do PNR he just kind of does everything and you know, I've got a little bit more of a, um, a not a stand around but more of an ISO sort of set Joseph's more of a game manager DeRozan's gonna have to pound the ball more and there's going to be a little more standing around ISO stuff going on. And so what I saw was really, really clunky. Um, can they iron that out? Sure they can. But it doesn't look – it didn't look great today. Well, um, I don't think it's good for them either in terms of trying to integrate these guys because when Larry comes back, you then, you've then got a totally different system you're potentially running again because it's a different point guard between Corey Joseph and Kyle Lowry. So – uh, that's going to be, I think, something that's going to be difficult for them going forward. How do they try and integrate these guys with Corey Joseph for the most part and then Kyle Lowry comes in and it all changes again. 
and you're hoping he maybe gets three or four games before the playoffs, but that's up in the air at the moment as well. Yeah, I have a feeling it depends on that for I guess that first round matchup. Um, but as you're saying, it's I don't see them falling. Look, they're going to be four or five is my best guess. I don't. I think the Wizards now, if they've got a bit of a bench unit and an offensive bench unit at that, which I don't mind with with Boggy, Bogger, Bogdano, Bogdanovich. Does he have Bojan. a nickname? Bojan, thank they you. They have got a name, nickname for him in Washington. I heard it the other day, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But we'll, we'll call him Bojan. Yeah, with, with Bojan and um, and with Jennings. So I go. I, I don't mind that as a, a competent, you know, NBA caliber bench unit. So um, with that, and then with the first unit playing the way they are, I think it's going to be tough. Um, look, they're only a game behind, so it's not exactly a insurmountable. But um, I'm penciling in already Washington for the three seed. And so I think you might see Toronto and Atlanta. You might flip-flop four or five, but that, that looks like probably the surest of the first round, um, in my opinion, in the Eastern Conference, the surest of the first round matchups, Toronto versus Atlanta. So I agree. Uh, I mean, I I'm, think Indiana are five games back, so that that's a fair margin to make up at this point in the season with only about 20 games left. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit worried now. Uh, unlike say a Kevin Love, which is quote unquote easier to replace, right? The rebounding and the and the spot up three point shooting and well, no one can ever replace his outlet passing. But you know, there's plenty of bodies to go around, and LeBron play a few more minutes, like and you know, that team's been together the core now for three years. Um, unlike Ibaka and PJ Tucker, their core's been together for three weeks or three minutes for that matter. So I'm I'm worried about. Toronto all of a sudden without Lowry, which just goes to show as nice as the Ibaka um, acquisition is, you lose Kyle and that sort of a, you know, sort of trumps the acquisitions. Um, on the flip side, why I was glad I put my money where my mouth was, I just like what Washington, I just love how Washington's playing. And I, I could see them with Toronto trying to figure shit out, running it up on, on, on the wraps and they did today. Yeah, so. I think I think if they can get something out of their bench, and I think Bojan's going to he's going to do pretty much. He'll have twenty seven. He's likely to score four in the next game, so I don't think it's something you can rely on. And Brandon Jennings may very well be the same um, as has been his career, where he, there's the inconsistency certainly been there, and a lot of injuries in fairness to him. Um, so I, I just wonder, are they going to get consistently? I can see them as a team that come in and really win easily. Um, in one game, and then the next game, their bench gives them nothing, uh, and, and that sort of costs them. So I'm still, I guess, my concern with Washington is more around the consistency of what they're going to get from those bench players. I mean, Jason Smith came in today and hit four out of four with his first uh, when he came on his first four shots. So uh, that spark yeah. was part of that twenty-six to one run. So it was a it was a weird yeah. It was the second unit, right? And like Otto Porter didn't make a single shot. No. Um, $16 million man, Jan Mahini, has scored one point in 21 minutes. And you go, and Beal, Beal was okay, but he didn't hit anything from three. John Wall, very ordinary offensive games. It was it was strange that that second unit just came in just bucket after bucket. You could just see Toronto scrambling. So it was, maybe it was a bit of an aberration, I suppose, when J. Smith goes four for four and B. Bogdanovich goes hit six triples in a matter of about 20 minutes of gameplay. But mm. um, it should give, I think it should give Washington a, a boost of confidence. Imagine what it's finally like to be John Wall 
and Bradley Beal to actually inhale, sorry, exhale and sit on the bench for a minute, not always having to worry about if I've got, you know, 10 more seconds before I get put back in the game. So I think there's a nice, there could be some nice ripple effects if even something of the, you know, Ubre, Mahimi, Bogger, Boyan, whatever his name is, Ben, I'm going to butcher this for the rest of the season. Give and, him and something. Brandon Jennings, give him something. That's right. Though the, other yeah. big, the other big game, though, was 1v2 in the Eastern Conference. And I've been of the belief that uh, Boston just can't beat the Cavs. It's a bad matchup for them. There's all sorts of issues there. But to their credit, they had a four-point win today uh, in Boston. Um, it was really a matter of uh, Isaiah Thomas had hit a couple of big shots late. Uh, that you, I said to you before we went on there that um, the exact same shot I was criticising Reggie Jackson for, Isaiah Thomas pretty much took. But you, you're probably a bit more comfortable with him taking that sort of shot, given his record. Um, and given also that they lost pretty easily, albeit their third game in a row when they played Atlanta two nights ago. Really good effort um, to come out and knock off the Cavs. Cavs missed a few shots. They tried, Darren Williams was playing in in crunch time in this one. Uh, LeBron's trying to get everyone involved. He was sort of playing more of a facilitator role in this one. But what, I mean, obviously it gives Boston some confidence going forward that they can beat the Cavs. Uh, maybe if that is the Eastern Conference Finals matchup, it uh, gives them something to go on. It could. Yeah, look, I think um, I think LeBron wanted to win this one. And I think he played 40 minutes today. And... I think we were mentioning before we got on the, the call today. When I when I look at the you know the Cavs, you know they don't have J.R. Smith yet. Love's still out, obviously. They've got this Mr. Ten Day contract, Derek Williams, who is playing the somewhat of the Della Vadova role, which is the out of nowhere, unpredictable um, production coming from the most least least likely source. And he plays thirty one bloody minutes today. You know, Darren Williams has literally just arrived in town. He plays 24 minutes. Kyle Korver couldn't hit anything today. He had one of those, when he doesn't hit threes, he's nothing. So he gets his defense a bit ordinary, but he does nothing, right? So I go, you look at what LeBron, and again, I like to criticize LeBron for some of his, I guess, his style and his attitude. But when he, you see games like today, and you got D. Williams and D. Williams, who've been there for five minutes, Korver did nothing. 75-year-old Richard Jefferson still running around. Um, Channing Fry similarly didn't hit a shot, and they only lose by four in the, in the last minute. That just tells you the power of the facilitation that LeBron does, and this is the oldest story of the NBA, but it just I almost feel like we need to have a, a vocal history of appreciating the greatness while it happens, even in games like this, where he's surrounded by fucking nothing against a very good Eastern Conference team in Boston who wants to win this game, and it still comes down to a couple of a bounce here and there in the, in the last 30 seconds. So um, You just yeah. feel with, with Cleveland that's similar to Miami situation in that you, they always seem to have that extra gear, and they just some, some nights they turn it on when they need to. Certainly in the playoffs, they'll, they'll look at turning it on. And other nights you can just sense that they're like, okay, if we lose this one, so be it. I mean, LeBron put up 28, 13, and a 10, triple-double, but he could have shot more. He shot the ball 21 times. If he decides to shoot it 25, 26 times, maybe they don't they don't go with Corver as much. Corver played 26 minutes. To your point, couldn't hit a shot. He hit the deep one big one late. But uh, you just think in a playoff situation, maybe it's all going to work yeah. a little bit differently. 
Look, the, everything changes with J.R. Smith and Kevin Love. That is, that's to state the bloody obvious. But what I saw um, in the bits I did see was, and this is a, again, you know, my irrational love for players like Marcus Smart. You know, he gets a huge run, played 33 minutes a day. Jalen Brown can defend, and Jay Crowder also 33 minutes ago. These guys can bloody defend. They'll get up in Cleveland, and they can defend. They can defend J.R. Smith and Shump and, and Kyrie and LeBron outside and force them to be more of a, you know, an interior game and grinding, grinding way in the half court, not letting them out, get out and run. And I go, so I saw, I saw glimpses of great defense, and I think, to your answer your question, yes, this will help. This will help their confidence at a minimum, the Celtics' confidence. Um, so I. Good on Boston. I don't think Cleveland loses any sleep over games like this. Um, and I guess my little meta- metaphysical takeaway is how good is LeBron James to play with these clowns and, and be this close in games like this? Well, so. Isaiah Thomas had no problems getting open today either. He was 10 of 20 from the field. So he, it's not like he shot the ball 30 times either. Um, he sort of played a pretty smart game, I thought from what I saw of it. But I was even more surprised just how open he was getting. And normally you'd, you'd think, well, you're going to put LeBron on him or something like that. But it's not that simple to shut him down there because uh, they have really worked hard on just getting getting him open looks. And obviously all the screens they're setting behind the play. Um, and he comes well, out of it and all of a sudden he's open. And he doesn't need to be riding the three-point line. He's... He's open. If, if no one's on him, he can be three foot behind the line. It's still a nice shot for him to take. Well, look, no one's going to mistake Kyrie Irving for even a... I don't even think he's an average defender yet. He's he's not horrible, but he's he's way below average. And so that's a bad matchup, right, when you get a guard, a scoring guard, scoring point guard like Isaiah. Um, so then you go, how do you hide Kyrie on defense against him? And that's where the this chess match goes, where you try to hide him on someone like a Marcus Smart. But then that what Marcus Smart can do is they can back he can back Kyrie down. So he was in the post a few times today, and so Marcus Smart strong as a bull. You know he shot the ball nine times is probably quite a lot for him today. Um, but he was a facilitator as well. So Marcus Smart had the ball in his hands a lot. He had eight assists. And so what I saw is this neat chess match where Kyrie can't defend Isaiah. So then how do you hide him? You hide him on the non-offensive threats like Marcus Smart. But then Brad Stevens you go bang they go right into sets where. Um, it's you know he can do pin downs and do some ISO and do some posting up stuff. So I see the emerging chess match happening today. Now to be full disclosure, I haven't seen these two play yet this season. This is the first time I I saw them, but I it was I just saw a bunch of interesting stuff happen. So now I'm getting to, into basketball geekdom here about defensive switches and stuff. But um, well, I think it was, it was just good for the Celtics to win a close game too because they have run the Cavaliers close a few times. But like I said before, the Cavs just seem to have that extra gear that they can go to and get away from them. And today, Corver uh, hit the big shot and it looked like maybe the Cavs were going to get away with it again. But then Isaiah Thomas comes down, hits an even bigger shot. And in the end, uh, the, I think the Cavs then missed a wide open three with Darren Williams. Uh, beautiful setup from LeBron, and then uh, yeah. foul Jay Crowder. He hits the two, and it's all, and it's all over. So yeah. that's sort of how that game played out. But we'll give some confidence, I think, to Boston um, to think that okay, we can beat the Cavs. We've shown that now. We can go toe to toe with them. Uh, but obviously, Kevin Love and Jar Smith coming in—that's a different equation yeah. as well. Uh, so clearly, it was a- some improvement in them. 
and it was a clean game. It wasn't one of those games where they tried to do some weird experimentation, right? Cleveland didn't turn the ball over much. It was just a nice straight up and down um, game, if you know what I mean. There wasn't any crazy um, innovative sets, right, or anything like that. So my other reflection, you were just that you're, you were leading off with the injury conversation is, uh, and I might be alone in this one, but I'm starting to wonder, is J.R. Smith actually more important than Kevin Love for his ability to, again, he's a decent defender when he's locked in, and his ability to play the backcourt and do small ball stuff is part of what I started to feel in a matchup with a team like the like the Celtics. So yeah, I think it depends on the matchup. I think there's matchups yeah. where Kevin Love's going to be more important, and I think there's matchups like against Toronto. I feel like Kevin Love might be very, really more important. Well, that's exactly where I was going. I, just, I think this is where we really miss for obviously Boston's powers that that deep bench in the backcourt and their wings. So I think they really missed J.R. Smith today. You know when. Corver and Duran, Darren Williams combined for 50 minutes, and Derek Williams, right? That's 81 minutes between those three. You know, if JR could come back in and get himself, you know, 25, 28 minutes, he could sit Corver if he's ice cold or let, you know, D. Williams just run a bit of the point late in the game or something, or in, in the second quarter and third quarters and stuff. So interesting, really interesting game today. Mm. Um, well, here's a player, we talk about players you can't do without. Here's a player that you really don't want to do without, and that's Kevin Durant. And he was injured yesterday. I watched the start of the game against the Wizards. Uh, it was a terrible collision. Looked bad right from the start. You, you feared the worst. I think the Warriors would be pretty happy in the sense that it wasn't worse than it was, although I'm not convinced that he will be back this year. We, we saw Joel Embiid out for the season with a brain bruise and a, a similar sort of an injury. Um, so they're saying at least four weeks at this stage, but he really is indefinite. They're hoping that he will be back just before the playoff, similar timeline, I guess, to Kyle Lowry. But what are your immediate thoughts about what this means for the Warriors? Uh, is there some way you can say this is a this is a good thing for them because it gives them a bit of a challenge and now they can uh, bond together or something like that, you know, before the, before the playoffs and... Um, just really get going because it's not obviously not going to be a massive drama to integrate Kevin Durant back into the team. But, but what are your initial thoughts when you hear that he's out for four weeks? There's nothing good. No, there's there's no such thing for a 70 win team, right? Who's you know got revenge on their mind and again, kind of extending what could be a historic, you know, almost dy- quote unquote dynasty sort of run that they're in the midst of. So, no, absolutely nothing good can come of it. Are they deep enough and talented enough to, to still get the one seed? Sure, no question about that. But if he misses the playoffs, right, go back. I also, I also feel then for, for KD, who, what year was it, 20, 2012? I forget what year it was when, when he went down in the playoffs and just torpedoed the season that looked quite promising back in OKC. So I, my heart... That's a bit dramatic to say my heart breaks for him. You feel for the guy, right? You do feel for a guy to have an injury like this, which is not going to be a neat – it's not going to be a neat recovery. It could be four weeks. It could be eight weeks, right? Exactly. Um, grade two sprain is not – that's not anything to joke about. So for those of you who don't – you know, aren't um, physios or doctors, right? grade two is a the middle of – middle severity. So grade two and grade three are the more, more severe sprains. And so it's a pretty classic – rehabilitation schedule or it's a almost literally by the book after four weeks you do an examination and look at the ends of the ligaments and see how those are 
those are being treated. So when it's accompanied with the bone bruise as well, there's just more variables there in the healing process. So this is by no means a, if I'm a, if I'm a Dubs fan, this is, I would get four weeks out of my head. I think it's very clearly he'll be evaluated in four weeks. And then he'd probably be on average. What, what I'm reading is another two weeks. If it looks really promising, but this could very well, as I think you hinted, it could be for the season. If the, there's any sort of setback in his um, when he gets back to basketball activities and doing any sort of cutting and all that sort of stuff. And KD's had foot problems before. He's never had a knee problem, right? Mm. This was a freak thing where Zaza fell into his knee and it, it sort of buckled in. Um, so this is it's also going to challenge his, you know, his I guess the mental aspects of recovery as well of how far to push it when he's going to be right. Imagine him, he'll be breathing fire the instant he's even a hint of feeling better. So it's going to be a tricky thing for them to manage is him no no doubt desperately trying to get back on the court when perhaps he needs to be more cautious. So a whole bunch of things here. It's horrible for them. Nothing's good for it. I still think they'll get the one seed. Um, you might argue differently about the Spurs, um, but the, I think three and a half, four game gap is not insurmountable, but if I'm Pop, what do I really have to gain by, if I say, what's Pop have to do? That means he's not going to rest guys as much and you know be going for Ws every single night on back second nights of back-to-backs. I just don't see Pop doing that. So I see Pop staying the course and being okay with you know whatever sort of happens. Um, that's well, my thoughts. Well, there's two things I'd say to that. The first is, I guess, where I was coming from is, and it's a bit silly to, to talk about, it's probably more of an outside thing to look at, but uh, from a narrative point of view, um, if the Warriors, if, if Durant stays fit, they go through and win it easily. I think everyone would have went, oh, ho, hum. They were supposed to win it. They were the best team. They put together this super team. It was luck that all this happened with the CBA, etc. Now they've got a bit of a challenge. So now if they win it from here, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more impressive, I guess, from a pure narrative standpoint to say, well, they overcame that injury to Durant. They showed they were a great team even if he wasn't on the floor. Uh, and they were able to integrate him back in and things like that. So I'm sure internally they could care less about any of that sort of stuff. But I guess just from a historical point of view, we may yeah. look back on this and say, well, it wasn't the worst thing in the world for, the, for, their, for them from a narrative point of view. But in terms of the Spurs, I think, and I agree with you, I don't think Pop will, but I think they should. And from, as a, from a Spurs fan point of view, I look at it and say, if we get the one seed, and I think it's gettable. I mean, the Spurs play the Warriors twice, so and both in San Antonio. So if they're able to win both of those games, now you're only talking about one game behind. Now, that's a big if. Warriors are still a very good team. But if you win both of those, you're only one game behind now, or one and a half it may be. They've got a, a hard draw in terms of the record. The Spurs have got the hardest draw in the NBA from here on in, but they also have a lot of home games. They haven't been playing as well at home this season, but you would, you'd would obviously still prefer to be at home than away. Uh, and I feel like if you get that one seed, then you probably get Denver in the first round of the playoffs. Spurs have owned Denver for years now. I don't see Denver causing any problems at all. I think that's a sweep. Okay. Um, then on the flip side of the coin, Golden State very likely get OKC. Now, we spoke in our last podcast, who's the one team you just do not want to be playing in that first round of playoffs? I think it's OKC. Not even from the point of view you think, oh, we can't beat these guys. It's just going to be a war from the first tip 
to the end of that series. It's going to be an absolute war. And then you've got to go around and you're going to chase James Harden around for potentially six, seven games, depending on how long that series goes. And all the time you're hoping that Kevin Durant comes back from the Warriors' point of view. And the same for the Spurs. The Spurs don't want to see OKC again. We've seen enough of OKC to last us 10 seasons, uh, whether Mm. Kevin Durant's there or not. And then you've got Houston in the second round if you're the Spurs, and then you go on to the Warriors. So I think it's a far easier run for the one seed in the West. And by the way, whoever you play in the, the playoffs, uh, sorry, in the East, uh, Western Conference Finals, you've got home court advantage, uh, and you don't really want to be going to Oakland for games one and two. So, and, and I, yeah, I guess I'm a little bit less relaxed because I'm. But on the same vein, I agree. No, you don't want to meet Oklahoma City, but my money's on there surpassing Memphis. I think OKC is going to get the six and set up that first round with his old pal James Harden. That's my that's my best guess. They're only a half a game, which are not even the same record. I'd have to look. But that's my feeling. Game. I think I think Memphis is going to. Don't you think? Don't you think Memphis look could be overtaken? I think. I mean, OKC be. is. OKC is terrible on the road. I guess, so as much as I, I agree with, the, especially if a, a Golden State matchup would bring out, you know, Russ might play all 48 minutes, literally. Mm. He might never go out of the game. Um, I guess you've but, got to also keep an eye on Utah because they're in a bit of free fall at the moment. They've, they got belted today at home by Minnesota. So I don't really know what's happening with them. So I guess he could play out any number of ways. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. Utah's but your point, another team. But your point is, you still you still think San Antonio. Your point is, the matchup is is to get bloody Denver. That's your point, right? Exactly. That's a sweep. Yeah, that's yeah. a sweep. Uh, may not be a sweep for the Warriors. I think Denver match up a little bit better on the Warriors, but it's probably a gentleman's sweep. I mean, it's it's yeah. still a reasonably easy series. Whereas I think you go to Utah, Memphis, or OKC, any of those three, that's going to be a war just physically to get through that series, even if it was a sweep. It's going to be a hell of a lot harder games. And then, as I say, I think Houston in round two versus the Clippers, there's not even a question in my mind who you want to be playing there. Um, Even though San Antonio don't match up that well on the Clippers, um, I'd still much prefer to be playing the Clippers than Houston. And then you have the home court advantage in the uh, the Western Conference Finals. So I agree with you. I don't think Pop will do it. But to me, if you're looking at and saying, oh, we're going to wrestle Marcus Aldridge tonight, uh, I'd be playing him and say, look, if we look like we're going to win, we'll play him 20 minutes. But let's make sure we play him. Let's try and get those wins up. Because I think if there's any year you want to go for that one seed, I feel like this is the year to do it. And look, the other factor, which is to state the obvious, is how how are the Warriors going to replace Durant's minutes? Right, you sort of... You'd sort of say, well, the usual answer is, okay, Iguodala, you know, can just up his minutes, and he does a lot more playing. They do a little more small stuff, perhaps. Livingston's minutes come up, but Livingston and Iguodala aren't what they were two years ago or even last year. So the, what I've seen them, they're they're not the same. These guys have lost a couple of steps. David West is 136 years old. Mm. Um, he might get a few more minutes. So I, I'm actually sort of, look, they still, right, they still got three all-stars, right, um, in their starting lineup. But this is a tough one. This is going to be interesting. It's not just – it's not Iguodala of 2014. Um, no, they, they, there is news they're going to sign Matt Barnes. Now, you might go, well, Matt Barnes, obviously he's not 
uh, Kevin Durant. But I guess from their point of view, they're probably saying, look, we're really looking at, let's say, look at it last year, we're trying to replace Harrison Barnes. Uh, again, Matt Barnes is not the offensive force that Harrison Barnes is, but he's still a nice well, player. I think yeah. he can come in and give them, what, 20, 25 minutes a night. I think Steph Curry will really step up now. You'd hope he's able to step up. He hasn't shot well the last couple of games, but um, hopefully he'll find his groove back. I think we're going to see a couple of really big games from Clay Thompson. We saw the 60-point game earlier this year. Uh, I think you're going to see some more, some bigger games from him. Draymond Green probably step up. So I, I think you'll see some of these guys step up. But I guess the, to flip that question around is, how important is the number one seed to Steve Kerr? Because does Steve Kerr look at this and say, you know what, I'm still going to try and manage the minutes of these guys. If we fall into the two seed, who cares? Once Durant comes back, we're still prohibitive favourites. Uh, or does he try and go all out? at different times and hold on to the one sermon. And how do you see that, that side of it playing out? Uh, good question. I I think Steve Kerr is a little more organic in his thinking, which is I don't think he's going to set the objective to say, let's get the number one seed. I think he's going to do what you suggested, which was see what Barnes he's got in the tank, Matt Barnes. See what, what West and others can do to fill the the 35 minutes and 30 points a game or whatever it is from KD, that's going to affect the style of play because when you talk about the most likely subs for KD, let's say it's David West, Iguodala, and Matt Barnes. These are three people who are not offensive forces. And so I think you've got, they've got some tweaking right, to do with the offense. I feel that's where he's going to be, is trying to find the right combinations and the right, right rotations. And that's how I think he'll play it. If they win more games, you know, if, it, if they get the one seed, great. If they don't, He's probably more focused on how to, because he's got to be thinking about how do I possibly play and build a cohesive unit here that can win a championship without KD. So he needs to be building right uh, cohesiveness and rotations and and role clarity and that sort of stuff. Well, that's where I think they may go back closer to the last year and, and say let's let's pretend for argument's sake that it's Harrison Barnes that's missing. Um, Harrison Barnes, well, they weren't playing the same with Harrison Barnes in that they were playing with Kevin Durant in. So maybe that's the sort of play that they move back to yeah. um, rather than that. But I guess on the larger point, let's let's say for argument's sake, and look, I, I want to see the Spurs win the title, but I'd love to see Kevin Durant come back. I want to see him come back before the playoffs. I don't want to win a, an asterisk title, if you like, because of injuries. Um so if Kevin Durant is out, though, for the rest of the year, I mean, does that make the Cavs prohibitive favourites? Well, the Spurs then move into favouritism? Or can we start talking about Houston? I mean, what does it do to the overall NBA landscape? Well, this is by far the biggest injury, right? Unless unless something happens to Chris Paul. I'd say he's probably the most critical person to any single team. Oh, I think you're, oh, you're underselling of, Michael Beasley. Well, Beasley, right, he's been replaced by seven minutes of Thon Maker tonight, <laughs> who was a, a minus... A minus nine in seven minutes, so there you go. Fucking dead. <laughs> the Thon experiment continues. He started the game the other night. He played the first two minutes, two fouls, one turnover on the pine. And I just thought, what was the point of that? I've been a kid, a Jason Kidd apologist for most of the season, given the, the flawed construction of the roster, the, the, the cloud that hangs over the franchise, which could be they should have the Lakers, the Lakers pick but instead they have Tony fucking Snell. Mm. So I, I go, so there's a, there's a lot of cloud of badness around it, but starting Rashad Vaughn and Thon Maker 
against the first unit and they just get bombed in the first eight minutes. How does that help their development? How does it help the team win games? Um, how is it good for their psyches? How is that good by any metric? So as as an irrelevant a player as Michael Beasley is in the NBA landscape, his going down after Jabari's ACL has put, sent my poor little franchise into a, a giant WTF exclamation point question mark as it relates to kids already messed up rotations. So, Daz, please pull us back out of the Milwaukee Bucks conversation. Sorry, you were saying? No, no, no. I mean, no. the worst players to get injured, in my view, obviously LeBron would be number one. Um, Chris Paul going down. I know what you were saying, like in terms of injuries that have happened this season. Um, Chris Paul's was, was very major before that. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at the players that I guess can't be replaced, I'm not sure Durant's even in that conversation because Golden State are still good even when he's not there. So you don't just... I mean, if Kawhi Leonard goes down, San Antonio, they're, they're done. If LeBron goes down, Cleveland are done. Same thing with James Harden and Houston, Chris Paul and the Clippers. So um, it's not the end of the road for them, but obviously it's a major, major player. And I would just... Maybe this is just your San Antonio way of thinking, but one thing I completely and categorically and unapologetically reject is the notion of someone winning a quote-unquote asterisk title, right? This is fucking professional sports. Injuries are every much as part of this game as any other sport, right? Tom Brady isn't lamenting the fact that, right, all the Green Bay Packers secondary was brutalized, which allowed a little flimsy, right? No one's lamenting injuries when you're holding I'm up the trophy. certainly not lamenting those injuries. No, right. So I'm like, Lowry's out, K-Love's out, J.R. Smith is out. Michael Beasley is out. That guy's made of rubber. And even Michael Beasley got hurt. KD, right? So everyone deals with this, with the physical toll these guys take. So um, anyway, I don't I, don't I just look at it, was, I guess, but... from the point of view of if, if the Spurs are going to win the title this year, I, I want to beat the best Golden State. I don't want to look well, at it and go, well, if the rank going down, that, that sort of cost them. Um, I guess, you know, I'm... I'm a little bit of a first-world NBA fan in the terms of we've won five titles. I've, I've followed the Spurs for 27 years. They've missed the playoffs once. So I'm in a different, and I don't mean to sound arrogant as an NBA fan, but I view it very differently um, than what probably some other fans do. will say, look, we'll take a title anyway. I guess I'm yeah, saying I'm sure outside. The are the same. But outside of the Spurs bubble, the whole planet's put the asterisk around Golden State for the year to go, your yeah. confluence of miracle numbers that have led Steph Curry to be on this ridiculous contract and this fucking feud that KD had with, with, with Russ and the, a couple of shots that didn't go in has led them to this ridiculous, random, lucky confluence of events that allowed them to sign in the first place. So the rest of the planet would be going, okay, we sort of maybe, quote-unquote, leveled the playing field here a little bit after it's been so bloody tilted, hmm. you know, for the first 60 games. So anyway, I think the point is to feel... You want teams battling at full strength, that perhaps is your point, right? Where the best basketball comes out and you've got two teams that are absolutely full strength. So if that's the point, then fair enough. I, I don't think anyone is putting any asterisks on any NBA championship, not when the quality of play has been so high this year. No, that's true. That's fair enough. But uh, I guess to the larger point, who who, who will be the favorite? I mean, will Gal State still be favorites if he's out for the rest of the year? Or does it then the power shift to Cleveland? San Antonio, Houston. I mean, I'm certainly much well, more bullish about the Spurs if Durant doesn't come back. I think if you're talking Las Vegas, Vegas odds favorites, yeah, 
assume they get the one seed and they do something like, I don't know, they slide at the end of the season and end up only 66 wins and 16 losses and still get the one seed, they're still going to be Vegas favorites, right? Yeah. Um, so all things being equal, aren't you – like I know you're a Spurs fan, but um, I am just the most curious about what Houston can do in the playoffs. I go, when James Harden, you almost every bit is – the way um, Russ does it, just far more efficiently, right? The way he can control, almost literally single-handedly control a game and the way it's run and almost the way it's refereed. So I'm I'm most interested in how teams react to the threat of a Houston team who's running on all cylinders. Well, that's, that's my... assuming they are. I mean, as I said to you the other day, uh, in Facebook conversation, that you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So they had a game where they shot eight of... 40 or something ridiculous from three uh, and got beaten. I can't remember off the top of my head who beat them, but I sort of thought that's the sort of game they're going to throw up in the playoffs. And they can throw up one of them at home, they can throw up one away. They play zero defence, typical of a Dan Tony team, uh, and I think it's very, very difficult. I mean, we've never seen an NBA team win a championship playing zero defence, hence why Dan Tony's never won an NBA championship. And you can talk about Tim Donnelly all you want, but really, at the end of the day, that's always been his Achilles heel. I think it's still the Achilles heel of that Houston team. Um, and, I, and I don't see that changing necessarily uh, this season, certainly what I've seen of them. Um, I just don't think there's a commitment to defence that you need in the big moments in games. I, I saw a game where they blew a big lead against the Spurs and the, the level of defence and the level of just carelessness on defence that James Harden in particular still showed was just astounding to me. So I, I, I think they're a tough out in the playoffs. Uh, I think they're going to have some high-scoring games, but I don't put them in the, in the class of the San Antonio's and Golden States. I could be proven wrong. I like D'Antoni as a guy. I think he's good. I'd love to see him be successful, but I'm yet to be a believer that he can coach a championship team. We'll see. I'm. I. This is the grand experiment, right? What you shoot sixty-five three-pointers a game. The mathematics you just go. The mathematics alone, Daz, would tell me if they shoot anywhere in the realm around the mean, and it's by definition seven-game series or six-game series are small sample sets. But you shoot that sixty-five times a game. The mathematics tells me that will put immense, immense pressure on uh, on the opposition, whether the opposition is San Antonio or Golden State. That's my point. And I think can, the way Harden can control a game, literally control the tempo and the flow, um, is... is um, I, anyway, I'd be terrified of that. I'd be more scared about what if they make 35 fucking three-pointers. I can't make that up. How, do, how, does, how does a team like that make it up when you're you know averaging your points per possession are what they can be? I so that's, that's true. That. And I, I look, I think they're a dangerous team, and there, there will be a game when they hit thirty threes, probably in the in the playoffs. But the, you're also assuming the sixty five they take are open. Are they forcing them up? What's what, what's going to happen? You got Lou Williams, who's a chucker. He could come on and go one for ten. He could come on and go eight for ten. You never know what he's going to do. Uh, but I, I agree. I think Harden played his best basketball ever this year. Um, I've got him penciled in as MVP at the moment. But, gee, Russell Westbrook's <laughs> making a very, very strong yeah. case. Uh, and Kawhi Leonard's actually blown me away as well. And, I mean, he's just not, a, not to me, not in the conversation that them two are in. Well, and um, you're, 
you're also not giving enough credit to the backyard. We probably should actually talk more about the Spurs, but Gasol has looked really good since coming back, right? He's played, what, three games now? Pale, he's coming off the bench now. So, so Pops, yeah, uh, Pops easing him back in. it up again. Uh, he's playing Dwayne Dedman from the start. Uh, and, and the thing about the Spurs, particularly this year, they're just throwing so many different lineups out every night. And Pop's just looking for what works. And he's like the mad scientist in the laboratory oh. at home. And he's putting, you know, you, you might turn on one note and you see Kyle Anderson, Jonathan Simmons, Kawhi, Davis Bertans and Dwayne Debman. And you think, that that can't be a competitive uh, five-man rotation in the NBA. And all of a sudden they go on a 10-0 run and Kyle Anderson's taking rebounds and, you know, Simmons is taking it to the hole and Bertans is knocking open, open threes and it's working for whatever reason. And I think that's the challenge of playing the Spurs. They're going to throw looks to you that no other team either has or will, um, and it's just so hard to adjust for, particularly hard to adjust for in the regular season. I think it's a little bit easier in the playoffs when you know you've got the same team for seven games and you can, I guess, to some extent, game plan for the different lineups that he's going to play. But I think the fascinating thing for the Spurs is, is Pop going to continue with these sort of 12-man rotations or at least 10, 11-man rotations, or is it going to shrink as it's probably done in the past? And I, I think he may very well continue playing 10, 11 guys. I mean, um, David Lee came on today and had 14 points in the second half off the bench. Uh, it was a real key factor in them booting uh, Indiana. So Pop's got so many options, he's not afraid to use any of them. And I guess it's going to be... Can some of these young guys handle the pressure um, of the playoffs? And does Pop put in them in position to handle the pressure uh, come the playoffs? Yeah, look, I, they're probably even deeper than they've almost ever been. And they've, they're consistently a deep team, aren't they? Where you just start looking, right? David Lee and Patty Mills and Tony Parker, he can, and still doing it. Jonathan Simmons can play meaningful minutes, right? Deadman, as you said, is now starting ahead of Gasol. He sort of go, they're, they're, they are confidently ten deep, right? Yeah. It's, and, it's, any, and in game seven, you don't lose much sleep around around that ten. That's true. Right. I think what we what we talked about early in the year before I think the pods before we began the pods though is that it's just if they're not hitting shots, right? That that I if they get behind, I just don't like their ability to come from behind. So again, Houston throws up sixty five three pointers, he'll make even thirty four percent of them, Daz. You're putting tons of pressure on the other team to keep up. That's all, that's my only worry about the Spurs. They have the best coach in the league, who is the best chess player at the same time. So, um, can we just this all this talk is? Can we just make it May now? Do we have to watch <laughs> the rest of the regular no, season? No, no, I'm the so season. excited. I'm so excited for the Western Conference playoffs. I want the regular I can't even season now, and I'm not happy Durant got injured. But I want that no. one seed. So let's let's play this out. Let's see if the Spurs can jump in the one seed. I can't see the Spurs winning the title unless they get that one seed. Um, I just want that easier first round. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there talking like this. Denver are probably going to come in and do what Memphis did a few years ago and pull the Spurs' pants down uh, in the first round. But but, does, but as you said, those Spurs have a home heavy and they've got a soft schedule, right? They've got Pels and T-Wolves and Sacramento a couple times. They've got, um, actually, T-Wolves a couple times. Yeah, we've got Golden Dallas, State Dallas, Lakers, uh, Knicks. You got the, yeah, you got a couple of Golden State. Did you play the Cavs once? Yeah, we're going um, to go to the Cleveland. So there's a couple of tough... Yeah. I think in terms of record, they said, I read today it's the toughest 
one, uh, toughest schedule in the league, but in terms of home stands, it's the easiest schedule in the league. So it depends on how you read it. Um, yeah, right. Both the games against Golden State are in San Antonio. So I think there's a chance there for the Spurs to steal that number one seed, which I predicted they would get at the start of the year. So that's another reason I wouldn't mind seeing them get it. I didn't predict them to win the title, but I thought they might sneak that one seed. Um, if Golden State struggled at any point to, to settle in, and they, they certainly didn't do that. So, um, look, a lot to look forward to, I still think, from the regular season. Um, but I agree with you. Once the playoffs start, it's going to be one of the most fascinating playoff series. And I think the East is much more fascinating this year from a playoffs point of view than it probably has been. Um, oh, I can't remember when the last time I looked at an Eastern Conference and thought, gee, Obviously, Cavs are still favourites, and wherever LeBron is, is still going to be favourites. But I think it's going to be as fascinating as it's ever been to see can he get through um, to another finals, which would be what his seventh um, final series in a row, which is just unbelievable. Yeah, the Lowry injury was the for me almost a bigger story at the moment, pending KD's health. Yeah, that just that most dramatically changed the landscape of that of the conference's playoff picture. But um. We'll see how we we'll see how he heals, I guess. Yep. All right. Well, we'll we'll leave it there for today, Darren. That was a, a feel like we covered what we wanted to cover. We'll talk again on Monday, uh, and uh, we'll go over probably some of the weekend games, and no doubt there's some other news that would have broken between now and then. But thanks for again for today, Darren. Good stuff. Thanks, Daz.